0: And welcome to a special edition of Bella Hookman's Curse. Uh, as always, I'm your host, Steve Sutherland, along with Julian Amarante. So today we're going to continue on our themes of the cult of the manager, jumping from you know our, our, our pieces on Hookman and Herrera, and really jumping now more into the, the styles of, of football. Uh, this week, what we're going to present on uh, is, uh, is total football. Um, which will kind of jump as the attacking side, I guess. Uh, and then next week, we'll bring to you more of the defensive football, uh, counter attacking, and and the supposed park the bus football, yeah. of, of Mourinho.
1: We're, we're we're kind of fleshing this out as we go along, uh, Steve. I'm really excited about doing this today. Um, you know, just a little bit of a recap. You know, we did this thing about Huchman on the one side and Herrera on the other, and you know, this is kind of we set up this kind of dichotomy between these kind of contrasting styles, where we have attacking football on the one hand, counterattacking on the other. Uh, the way we've operationalized this dichotomy, again. It might be wrong, but it's the kind of way that we see it. And in a way, we are wrong because we've kind of pinpointed Quitman on the one hand and uh, Herrera on the other. And in a way, it's kind of inaccurate. And I hope today that we kind of fix this up a little bit. But it, it is going to be a little bit confusing because there is a lot to say about where total football begins and uh, who basically can lay claim to it um we throw the kitchen sink of the history of facts of total football at you so we begin by asking this question total football what is it well total football is often credited as being the dutch invention you know what they call dutch total okay.
0: But as we've learned through through the research, yeah. it's not the case. It's
1: not the case. And we're going to ask this question. That we'll leave this to our, our listeners to, to decide. And we know that it's actually, within our group, we know that it is a very, very contested debate. A lot of people had these kind of brilliant ideas that came out during the World Cup and our discussions. You know, on the one hand, we had our friend uh, Gio, you know, who was the idea of the defensive of And then we had Manuel who talked about uh, uh, the idea of socialist football, which we do bring up.
0: And it really draws like such an emotional reaction in a way that other sports really don't get that same tactical type of feel.
1: Well, we kind of address that as we go along here today. Um, Let's go back to this. Essentially, it's a tactical theory in football in which any outfield player can take over the role of any other player in a team. Once again, we have to say that it was made famous by the Netherlands national football team when they reached the 1974 World Cup final in Germany. Uh, but the early exponents of total football, you know, essentially are the sides of Ajax, of Amsterdam, Real Madrid. Although the system saw trial in other parts of the world, most notably the Austrian Runder team of the 1930s. Uh, the Argentine side of River Plate with La Machina of the 1940s, the golden team of Hungary, uh, and believe it or not, the English side Burnley in the 1950s. And you can even kind of venture it to, see, to, to, to see it in the uh, football style of the Brazilian side Santos in the 1960s under with Pelé. But in total football, a player who moves out of his position is replaced by another from his team thus retaining the team's intended organizational structure. This is a fluid system. No outfield player is fixed in a predetermined role. Anyone can successively play as an attacker, a midfielder, a defender. The only player who must stay in a specified position is the goalkeeper. And as we have recently seen, the keeper has been incorporated into a current version of total football to play almost like a sweeper without really going forward. Uh, I give this credit to Pep Guardiola. And uh, and 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 as a side note, I'd, I'd like to actually fault Pep for turning goalkeepers into great shot stoppers, but shitty d- defensive organizers. And we've had this kind of discussion uh, 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 off and on on the side. Um, total football's tactical success depends largely on the adaptability of each footballer. So you've got to be smart to play this. You have to be an intelligent athlete. You just can't be a robot which is something we might get into a little bit later as we kind of go on in the week still. But within the team, in particular, the ability to quickly switch positions depending on the on-field situation. The theory requires that players be comfortable in multiple positions. Hence, it kind of requires this very intelligent and technically diverse association of players. Now during the 1970s Ajax played the finest if not some of the finest uh, the finest total football if not some of the finest football ever achieving a perfect home record of catch this 46 and 0 and 0 no ties 46 wins no losses no ties and that was for two full seasons in 1971 72 and 72 73
0: so it's really strange that when we talk about teams that have been undefeated we we tend to go right to that Arsenal yeah uh, invincible seamen not a lot of discussion this is two seasons
1: two seasons they actually lost they had one defeat in the whole of 1972 70, 71 72 season and they celebrated four titles they won the the Netherlands National League uh, uh, championship the KNVB cup the European Cup and also the Intercontinental Cup okay however here's where we go the foundations for total football were laid by an English football fan- manager, my friends. Yes, an Englishman, a fellow by the name of Jack Reynolds. Uh, he, uh, uh, I mean, you know, we often slag the British for this kind of arrogant and always kick and hope style. But there are some extraordinarily Uh, many international forward-thinking football pioneers that come out of England. Jimmy Hogan, whose name will come up. Herbert Chapman was another one, but Chapman really wasn't into the total football. But these guys saw the game in a greater, greater light. These guys were real visionaries. Now, Jack Reynolds uh, is interesting because... Jack Reynolds is essentially the manager of Ajax of Amsterdam from 1915 to 1925, and then again from 1928 to 1940, and then a third time from 1945 to 1947. He is essentially considered the real pioneer of the system of playing total football. And he's considered to be among the best managers that that Ajax has ever had. And that's saying quite a bit because they had some extraordinary managers under Rhinus Michaels and Ernst Happel. And I'll get to those two guys a little bit later. Uh, He was also the the manager of the Swiss side, St. Galen. And and Reynolds, no doubt, was influenced by, this is where it gets really interesting, the Scottish innovation of the game, of the short, quick passes. Now, I give this brief mention um, because... It's very important and we don't talk about it much. Maybe at some point we will. I don't know. But this transition from this kind of quick style of short passes really revolutionized the game of football around 1900, 1910 from that old, ugly kick and hope of the English style. And, you know, I hope at some point we can actually address this a little bit more. And, I mean, it also accounts for why we have such great Scottish managers in the history of the game. You know, everybody from Jacques Steen to uh, uh, Fergie. And, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I I would even even say Moyes, okay? Uh, Whereas a lot of people don't give him credit where he deserves. Nevertheless, Total Football also saw further development by the great Gustav Shebez. Now, Shebes was a contemporary of Vela Verachutmans, okay? And with, he actually had the title of the Deputy Minister of Sport in Hungary, uh, during the old communist regime, he coached the Hungarian team that was the national team known as the Mighty Magyars of the 1950s. Among the players ready for this, Franz Pushkas, Zoltan Chibor, Sandor Kocsis, Joseph Bojic, and Nandor Kidiguti. Hidik- I can never pronounce it right. But it was him with the, with the other two famous uh, Hungarian coaches, Hutman and Martin Bukovi, that they formed a the triumvirate of radical Hungarian football coaches, and they pioneered this 4-2-4 formation, which finds its way in Brazil. And we talked about this when we did the first thing on equipment. Now, Chavez, okay, is very important to uh, I think it's because he advocated uh, what he refers to as a socialist football. Okay, which is probably the earliest version of total football with every player pulling equal weight and, and able to play in all positions. And under Chavez, Hungary went unbeaten for 22 consecutive matches. And during his run, Hungary became the Olympic champions when the Olympic championship really meant something in 1952. They won the Central European Championship in 1953. They were also twice defeated. They also twice defeated the great England team of the 1950s, 6-3 and 7-1 in England. And in 1954, uh, I think they were robbed of the World Cup in 1954 in, in Switzerland. Um, and, you know, this is actually, the defeat actually marked the end for Sabas. And I wanted to say something about that World Cup. There was no way that the world was going to let the communist regime win the World Cup at that time. And uh, there was some, to say dodgy refereeing would, would be polite. And a lot of people felt that, you know, West Germany uh, had to be kind of... Uh, brought back into the international fold. And a lot of people think to this day that there was a lot of conspiracy behind the favorite of certain kind of referee decisions. Because if you actually look at that West German team, they were torpid, clunky, and very clumsy. And and you had this extraordinarily beautiful football. But by the time they got to the final, the Hungarian players had basically been kicked black and blue uh, with, with the referees looking the, the last way. And, and essentially, uh, Pushkas had one leg, remaining by that time. Anyways, going back to uh, Chavez, Chavez drew heavily on the inspiration from the Burnley native and continental pioneer Jimmy Hogan, who we talked about earlier. Steve pointed him out when we were talking about equipment. And Hogan was another English player and coach of Irish descent, and he counted among I said, like I said earlier, among the greatest pioneers of the game on the European continent. He was a troubadour. He went all over the world. He enjoyed some success as a footballer, as he reached uh, uh, the FA Cup semi-final with Fulham in 1908. But it was as a coach, uh, and his abilities as a coach that shone through, particularly as he traveled throughout the continent. Now
0: that seems to be very typical. Some of the greatest managers had, uh, not the greatest football
1: and career. careers. Well, I always think about this, that, uh, in any sport, the best coaches are among the worst players. And I always think it's because they were probably coached more often and they learned actual styles of coaching. Right now. Um, you know, after the world, world war, uh, after the first world war, um, Hogan went to work in Austria, and there was, you know, he was interned as an enemy alien at the time, but he ended up finding home, you know, working various jobs as a football coach. And during his time in Hungary, he coached the famous club MTK. And uh, in the UK, he was actually perceived as a like kind of a traitor, and uh, you know, really never given the credit he deserved. But in that same decade afterwards, you know, uh, after the war, Burnley. The, the, the team that nobody really understands was playing this new system in English football where they won the championship, okay? And they also had this kind of style where every player could play in every position, and the manager was a fellow by the name of Harry Potts. Now, Potts, now this gets really interesting. This is where you see the cross-pollinization, right? Potts was born in Hatton Le Hole in County Durham, where another well-known football coach by the name of Bob Paisley was his childhood friend. They were lifelong friends. So you can see that there was conversations, right? Paisley basically took that onto the Liverpool side that was famously uh, great with short passes and, again, a kind of total football style of the 70s, right? You know, it it was interesting because Potts actually was supposed to be a, a scholar. And instead, he he was forced to choose between football and his studies, and he chose football as his career. And the poor guy, you know, becomes one of the architects of of, uh, uh, total football and never gets the credit he deserves, you know? So I have a question here. Who is the father of total football? Is it Reynolds? Is it Hogan's? Or is it Potts, you know? Or is it Chavez? Or is it Hutman? Or is it, you know... Uh, but so this is where it becomes really interesting, right? This is something I think we need to explore at some point further. But let's kind of keep grabbing this registry. And I apologize as we go from country to country and historical period to historical period. The most important team, I think, if we really want to centralize the locus of total football, it starts in the 1930s with the Austrian Wunder team, okay? That, that is credited as being the first national team to play total football. And again, I know I'm repeating myself, but shit, we could do another pod about all of these teams, just individually, all of these teams. So that being said, let me say a few more words here about this Austrian wonder team. They had this great manager by the name of Hugo Meisel. Okay? Now, I posted an article in the group a while ago about the coffee shop intelligentsias uh, that took place in Vienna during the 1930s. And a lot of football was discussed as an intellectual adventure. Meisel was one of those guys. Um, The Wunder Team, as the name given to the Austrian national football team of the 30s and led by Meisel, uh, was really interesting in the sense that Meisel was actually born to a Jewish family in Bohemia, a Czech Republic or Czechoslovakia at the time. And he, he actually started as a bank clerk. He moves to Vienna in 1893. And he soon developed an interest in football, again, through this kind of like intel, intelligentsia that hung around in coffee houses. And as time goes on, he basically you know, becomes a player, a winger for the Vienna Cricket and Football Club. And then it's in the 1930s, after a short playing career, that he finds employment as an administrator with the Austrian Football Association. Rising to the position of general secretary.
0: So it's interesting that you bring up that he's a bank clerk because we can think of a manager right now, that uh, that also worked in a bank for for much of his early football career. And sorry, yeah, who plays a short or a short err passing game and likes to move the ball forward as quickly as quickly as you can.
1: Well, it's interesting too, not only that it comes to football. I mean, coaches in particular. In soccer, a lot of them were not even players. Like two of the best coaches that you can think of, okay, Arrigo Saki, never played professional football, okay? And there's an argument to be made that Mourinho didn't play in professional football really that, that much either himself, right? And yet they, they became the most some of the most important coaches. Anyways... To go back to Meisel, Meisel became the coach of the Austrian side in 1913 along with another of his contemporaries who becomes incredibly important in this idea of bringing total football to the forefront, a fellow by the name of Einrich Ekerucheri. Uh, they assume full control in 1990 and they rise to prominence in the late 20s and of course in the 30s. And back then, you know, a 14-match unbeaten run was unbelievable. OK, uh, they went from April 12th, 1931 to the 7th of December, 1932. OK, and they placed the Austrians essentially at the forefront of international football. They had basically beat most of their European rivals. And at this point, football in Austria belonged, like I said, to socialist intellectuals and the working classes. And I keep stressing this idea that a lot of the discussions took place in houses. And this is also the start of what we call the Danubian school. Uh, uh, you know, we need to do a show at some point on the Danubian school because the Danubian school is extraordinarily influential, and it's actually, I think, the Danubian school is total football. But, anyways, let's let's move on because we got to go all to all these places. Okay, uh, this team has an unbeaten streak of fourteen games. We talked about this from April thirty one to December thirty two. The style of the team was also based. Catch this. And the Scottish football that focused on the quick passing introduced by the Englishman, Jimmy Holgan. Okay, there's Holgan's name again. They had some extraordinary players. The forward line was complemented by some of the wide halfbacks and an attacking center half, Matthias Sindelar. Sindelar is the most underrepresented greatest footballer of all time. His name rarely comes up. We'll talk about him in a, in a second. There was also players such as Joseph Smitsdik and Walter Naush, and a fellow by the name of Pepe Biscan, who uh, not too many people know about, but he was also a phenomenal striker. These guys formed the core uh, of the team that would dominate European football during the era. Again, let's go back to Sindelar, Matthias Sindelar, known as the Der Papirien, the papery man. The guy was like basically as skinny as a rake. And he was a star. And uh, problem is, is Sindelar enjoyed a lot of drink and a lot of prostitutes. And in the end, it caught up with him. Well, and, and yet, he short lived life. Uh, there's a great documentary on, uh, uh, well, a great episode on that documentary series called uh, The Beautiful Game Football. Um, and it's narrated by that uh, British actor whose name escapes me at the moment. And they actually do a segment on Sindelar, which is like one of the very rare moments that they actually talk about this great player. I I actually uh, um, urge you to look him up. Um, As a a side note and of importance to this long-going conversation, uh, we also hope to start talking about attacking football versus defensive football. And as an addendum to Steve's presentation of Helenio Herrera, which was a fantastic presentation, and also the, the idea of Catanacho, uh, there's something to be said about the great Vittorio Pozzo, okay? who was also a very big influence on Herrera. Now, Meisel was a contemporary and a very close friend to Vittorio Pozzo. They later had a falling out, and it's basically Pozzo was a bit of an asshole. okay. <laughs> but Pozzo was the manager and the creator of, you ready for this? The Metodo Tactical Formation, okay? M-T-O-D-O. Bonzo is regarded as one of the greatest managers of all time, and uh, he's the only person to guide his national team to two World Cup championships as the coach, leading the Italian national team to victory in 34 and 38. However, I would say that those World Cups are tainted. Uh, this is when they repatriated all those Argentinian players who were really Argentinian, and not Italian, and also had very, very strong links to Mussolini's fascist uh, regime, which, uh, you know, had a penchant for fixing games. Okay, shall we just leave it at that? He also led Italy to the gold medal in the 1936 Olympics, um, and he managed the championships, uh, uh, the champions of 1930 and 35 Central European International Cup, which was the precursor to the European Cup. Um uh, until the 1930s, a common tactic in football, and this is really important, was the, called the Pyramid of Cambridge, which is essentially a 2-3-5 in shape. My old Hungarian coach when I was a kid used to make us play this. This was, a, this was the formation we played when I was young. 2-3-5, and in the shape of a kind of inverted pyramid that had its apex and the keeper. Okay, the design of the scheme is given to the team of the famous British University of Cambridge, of course, and its launch basically was with Blackburn Rovers of all places in the 1890s. And uh, it's funny because Rovers won five League Cups and for over 30 years, this formed uh, the kind of experience that was uninterrupted kind of in the British Isles and then by extension to the world. But it was in the years after World War I by the uh, the, that this evolution of the pyramid system kind of originated simultaneously with the WM, you know, which you and I always use. I'm pretty sure this is what you use a lot in Football Manager, if I'm correct. Uh, The WM, or figuration of of that. Anyways, it's also referred to as the Sistema in the Italians, and it was practiced by Arsenal uh, of Herbert Chapman, who I talked to earlier, and the Midotto was also the fathers of commonly identified it belonged to the father of it was commonly identified as Vittorio Pozzo and his good friend Hugo Meisel. They were for 25 years the coach of the Austrian national team. Now Pozzo and Meisel then developed this idea of an array with two defenders as fullbacks. And a player in the central position in front of the defense between the two halfbacks—they were called halfbacks, not center backs back then—which effectively functioned as like central or defensive midfielders. Okay, now this compared to the sistema, okay, which had the forward displacement of the central defender, gave more support to the halfbacks. Hence, you have the counterattack by the W's, right? The wingbacks, right? Uh, there was also a retreat towards the median of two inside forwards, an inside left and an inside right. Uh, the period mid also had half wings, and it gave rise to this lovely formation, which was a 2-3-2-3, two, three, two, three, okay, or what we called W-W, okay? And because it, it was repeated because it looked like two Ws on the field, okay? Now, the point of this tangent and this diversion is that reducing total football to Pep Guardiola okay, or Johann Cruyff as a modern phenomenon that belongs solely to the continental style is kind of really lazy and incomplete, okay? This was English meeting, you know, English men going to the continent and influencing continental coaches who then put their own kind of twist on it. However, here's where it gets really interesting. We go overseas to South America and between 1941 and 1947, the Argentinian club River Plate formed a remarkable team known as La Máquina, the Machine, whose famous front four or five forwards were Carlos Muñoz, José Manuel Moreno, Adolfo Pedanera, Ángel Labruna, and Félix Lustau. They perfected the false nine style. Okay, and this was also a constant change of attacking positions. Okay, La Máquina. Won several Argentine championships, uh, also international championships, and can be cataloged as essentially the prototype of Hungary's golden team in the fifties. So you can see uh, the kind of you know cross pollination from overseas, and it's important to note that Hutman, okay, becomes crucial here because it's Hutman who goes to South America, coaches Peñarol, coaches Botafogo. Coaches all of these South American teams. And he begins to bring this idea of the 4-2-4 or this W, right? So the Magyars then take it with Poshkas, Hiduguti, Chibor, Kosis. They win the gold medal in the summer 52 Olympics. Uh, They lose to West Germany in the final 3-2. We talked about this earlier. But this idea of total football is taking place in Argentina, okay? And this is a high watermark. Of football, I, I personally believe. This is my personal opinion. People don't share it. This is why I think Argentinian football is the greatest football in the world. Okay. This is the high watermark, and it was heralded as the epoch of la nuestra. Okay. And I'll go into this idea of la nuestra in a little bit more detail uh, in a second for the purposes of accuracy, but this actually is the period of la máquina, okay, which was also the period of the angels with dirty faces. That was the, the nickname of the Argentine national team. And their high point comes almost 17 years later in 1957 when the Argentine national team, the Angels with Dirty Faces, win the Copa America. And as soon as they won the Copa America, all of those players got pipped by Italian teams. Okay, They were tucked away by big contracts, and uh, they Im- immediately actually switched allegiance. A lot of them actually went on to play for the Italian national team. Okay, And the weakened the, fi- the 58th, Argentine national side that went to the World Cup. So do you think this
0: is why FIFA made it more difficult for, like you think this was kind of the first real show of FIFA making it more difficult after this fact?
1: I, I, I don't know if that was the influence. I mean, it's um, still an ebb and flow, right? I mean, I once remember Jack Charlton saying, does Robbie Bajo have an Irish guy or grand, great grandmother or something? Because, you know, uh, uh, Bobby Charlton wanted Baggio to play for that 1994 uh, Irish team. So, I mean, it's weird, right? These questions of nationality, that's something we have to address at some point. But I want to go back to this idea of La Nuestra. La Nuestra, the best way I can refer to it is the tr- as translated as ours or our way, which refers to a kind of a traditional style, a traditional South American style, best exemplified by the Brazilian national team that won the World Cup of 1970, okay? And it, it, they were playing essentially Bela four two four. 4-2-4, Okay. And uh, to be more precise, La Nuestra is considered the Argentinian way based on this idea. And this is what you were talking about earlier, how it elicits those reactions, right? Where they say that soccer has to be played with fun, it has to be played with joy, it has to be aesthetically beautiful, it has to be attacking. Okay. Otherwise, you know, you just can't win. You have to win beautifully. Okay. And and if you can't win beautifully, then you lose. And essentially, those, this, this, the setup was 4 3 3 or 4 3 1 2 or 4 2 3 1. And essentially, this is why we see this prolific production of attacking midfielders coming out of Argentina. Okay, They call it the sense of playing the right way, which is apparently more important than winning. And <laughs> any Argentinian will tell you that, right? Um, the golden period of La Nuestra followed the establishment of the Professional League in 1931 in Argentina. And this is when Peronismo was very, very, very under one the the dictator of Juan Perón was very important, right? He basically hothoused this isolationism, uh, and that developed a certain kind of skill and trickery, and it thrived. Now, when I say trickery, I don't want to, it to be confused with gamesmanship, which was huge in Argentina back in those days. I mean, you heard stories about where, where some teams would actually send prostitutes to the opposing side's hotel room to entice them. I mean, there, there, all kinds of things, banging pots and pans around the clock outside so they wouldn't sleep.
0: Well, there's a very distinct history of that now in, yeah. in throughout the South and very much so in Central America. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's very, very important. Like throwing bags of urine. OK, but I don't want to, to confuse with that, OK, because Argentinian football has this extraordinarily long checkered history. But I, what I'm emphasizing here when I talk about trickery is the relationship between skill and trickery. OK, and uh, the, Jonathan Wilson is a phenomenal uh, football journalist. Documents this incredible history and one of the best histories I think I've ever written, I've ever read about football. And it's also titled The Angels with Dirty Faces How Argentinian Soccer Defined a Nation and Changed the Game Forever. Brilliant piece of work, highly recommended.
0: I wanted to ask though, because so this idea of, of trickery seems to have translated to the African game. Yes. And that's not. As well known, and I think maybe that's because that's a big discussion. That might be something we have to get into later.
1: Well, I mean, the only thing I can comment about this, and I, and I really want to put this point out there, is the great C.L.R. James wrote a phenomenal book on cricket, okay, called Beyond a Boundary, and it wasn't just about cricket. It was basically about colonialism, and what it really showed was like one of the one of the, if you know anything about cricket, you know they have this term called cutting. Which is basically to kind of slice the ball, which became an innovation by West Indies and and you know basically you know African slaves who were basically brought into the West Indies, and you know this is a kind of you know Eduardo Galliano in soccer in and Shadow talks about Capoeira mixing with with soccer, and this idea of trickery. So I think what we see is even though the colonial masters bring the game around the world, which is England, you know the colonies. Or, you know, the, 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 the global South puts their twist on it, right? And that's why, that's why I want to get into, at some point, we got to get into this, this idea of diving, right? Because, oh, they're divers. It's cunning. It's, it's a South American thing. It's an African thing. No, it's part of the game. It's the way the game has kind of evolved. But we'll leave that aside for now. Um, because what I want to talk about is the 1970s uh, in Argentine football. Okay, which is the era of menotisme and Bilardi's which basically is Loren, uh, uh, which is Cesar uh, Menotti on the one hand, and feel Bilardo on the other. But we won't talk about Bilardo because I understand you'll be doing something on Bilardo on yeah. defensive. But uh, what I uh, we, what I want to try to explain is about my hero in football, not just as football, but a hero as a, as a man. Okay. Enter Cesar Luis Minotti, El Flaco, the skinny one, okay? Now, El Flaco Minotti is a real character in the world of football. I would say that out of everything and everyone in this wide world of football, Flaco Minotti is one of my all-time favorites, okay? Uh, He might even go down as one of my favorite persons ever. Uh, If you ever see him being interviewed at home, he has this beautifully framed picture of Ernesto Guevara or Che, Che Guevara. And, uh, you know, he was a leftist. And that, that, that strikes home with me, right? The best way I can describe him is, um, is what I read this morning about him in an article. The quote goes, you'd probably think Minotti was that rare breed of university lecturer, intellectual but not pompous, aloof but not wholly ignorant. And if you ever listen to him chalk, it's brilliant. He had this wonderful line when uh, Barcelona demolished Real Madrid under, under uh, Mourinho. And he called Mourinho un cagón. Now, cagón is like coward, but literally cagón means a guy who shits his pants. <laughs> okay. And uh, he, he's no fan of Mourinho. Let's put it that way. He, he's, he's gotten really up there, but he's still as lucid as ever. Anyways, Menotti as a player was not special. Okay, But his coaching stint comes out of this tactical experiment of his huracan side, which won the Metropolitan Analyst Championship in, in Argentina. And again, as Jonathan Wilson wrote in his excellent uh, tribute to Flacco, which is a a, a, a chapter in in the book, they were a team, he called them, so delightful and elegant that they were applauded by opposing fans regularly, like when they thumped Rosario Central 5-0. Now, if you know anything about Argentine football, Huracan is not a big club. It's a very small club. Anyways. Uh, Wilson goes on to describe, like, like here's the quote: "There were gambetas, one-touch moves, nutmegs, sombreros, one-two overlaps." The forward Carlos Babington is quoted as saying in that Wilson piece that those aren't the empty words of a football set to interview autopilot. No, Menotti's Hurricane was Epicurean quantity. They indulged in the fineries of football, skill, beautiful passing, forward thinking. And these were the hallmarks of Minotti's side that shook Argentine football in 1973, going against a pre- pre- prevailing methodology of that time, which was Estudiantes, which is something you're going to talk about, which was anti-football. Menotti actually didn't like to call it anti-football. He called it right-wing football. You see the contrast. Chavez, socialist football, which was total football. Defensive football, he called right-wing football, okay? And he viewed it as a struggle and a sacrifice, saying right-wing football wants us to believe that life is a struggle. It demands sacrifices. We have to become steel and win by any methods. See, Flacco basically believed that the game had to be played beautifully all the time. Now, I have problems with that, but let's continue. Menotti's football was a blend of philosophy and artistry his essential quote, okay, the Descartes of football, if you will, is what is that a team above all is an idea. <laughs> I just love this guy. Okay, he goes with the spirit of cog, of, of cogitation, Menotti garnered and de- dedicated a, a, an adoring group of followers, and this is called Menotistas. And I like to think I'm one of them. Okay, uh, Menotti believed in football as the extension of dreams. A footballer was to Menotti in a privileged position. He had the ability not only to delight and dazzle thousands of spectators with this kind of like swiveling of the boots, but but he possessed this unique quality of being able to interpret feelings and dreams, okay? And the Argentines had dreamed for years and years of glory, and the players basically, you know always kind of like offered this interpretation. We saw many, many players. And what that philosophy with, with that philosophy, Minotti takes the job of the national team, who had been basically humiliated in the 1974 World Cup in, in, in Germany, or was Germany at the time. And for him, it was more than winning and that he that he cared about. Minotti was preoccupied with also ex- executing an upheaval in Argentine football. He wanted his players to embrace football as a spectacle. And with that, he basically began this turnaround. And Menotti's attacking style manifested itself in this kind of direct 4-3-3. And Argentina were not short on direct hard-running attackers in the form of Mario Campes, Leopoldo Luque, and Ar- Oscar Ortiz, who were all part of that 1978 World Cup winning side. Uh, this was coupled with the brilliance of Ozzy Ardidas and the pace of Reni Haussmann. And it meant that Menotti Argentina were, were, were basically an, ex- an exhilarating creation. Minotti's message was not to win the match, but also play good football, okay? And it was at the 1978 World Cup that he fulfilled this objective. And just to show you the balls that he had, okay, that tournament, there was a 17-year-old rising superstar by the name of Diego Maradona. Maradona had won the, the league scoring title at 16 years old. And the pressure was enormous because he was the next superstar and Minotti found himself under this pressure to basically um, include the teenager in the squad, and he said no. And, I mean, eventually he, he handed him the debut, but he did not take him to the, to the final, and Maradona accepted it. Apparently he cried quite a bit. And Argentina, in spite of this, wins the 1978 World Cup. However, we must say this again, there was some serious sketchiness, particularly... Uh, uh, the uh, victory over Peru where they needed to score six goals. Now, uh, you know, Menotti dismisses this out of hand, but there was some shenanigans, there's no doubt in my life, okay? Uh, this is another uh, thing that we can devote a whole week to, to be quite, fi- quite, quite, quite honest with you. Now, we've dealt with Minotti. I want to jump back overseas because at the same time, Okay, back in in, in Holland, we see Rhinus Michaels, who, ready for this, played under Reynolds when Reynolds coached Ajax, okay? So Rhinus Michaels becomes the manager later in 1965, and he reworks the whole theory of total football, and he introduces one of the greatest footballers ever in Johan Cruyff, okay? Uh, And uh, people would have to say that when you hear total football, the first guy you actually, if you're a football it fan is Cruyff. is Cruyff, right? But, uh, you know, a few words about Mikels. Mikels also had played his entire career for Ajax. Uh, he wasn't a memorable player. He later coached and then he became the member of the Netherlands national team, both as a player and a manager. And he is actually, requ- He, I mean, here's the thing, man, people, this is our, what our football fans, you know, you guys don't know what they are, Okay. Linus Michaels is one of the greatest football managers of all times, and he probably could not be picked out of a police lineup, okay? You know what I mean? Michaels um, uh, became most, uh, or Michaels or Michaels, whatever you want to call him, became most notable for his coaching achievements having won the European Cup with Ajax for the first year and the Spanish League then with Barcelona. He took Cruyff with him. He had four tenures of the coach of the Netherlands. Okay, he he led them to the final in the 1974 World uh, World Cup, and then he went led them to he he basically led them to win the 1988 European Championship with Van Basten, Hulit, Rijkaard. That team was amazing, by the way. I actually saw that championship; is one of the greatest tournaments I think I've ever seen. To be quite honest with you, they met the Soviet Union in the final. Okay, and- anyways. Michaels is credited with the invention of a major playing style and a set of tactics known as total football, okay, particularly the 70s. He was named the coach of the century by FIFA in 1999 and in 2007, the greatest post-war football coach by the times. Now, let's go back to his style. Now, Michaels fielded Cruyff as a center forward and he realized that Cruyff was special. Okay, so Michaels encouraged Cruyff to roam freely around the pitch and he basically uses technical ability and intelligence to exploit the weakness in the opposition, create chances, and Cruyff's teammates then would work to adapt themselves accordingly, okay? And they would regularly switch positions to ensure tactical roles. The team was constantly just moving, constantly filled, okay, or consistently filled, sorry. Here's the interesting part. You have Michaels, but at the same time, you have this fellow, an Austrian, by the name of Ernst Hoppel, okay? Now, he was influenced by the great Hugo Meisel, the other Austrian Wunder Team coach, okay? And the man who took over – Hoppel eventually took over Ajax when Michael decided to leave Ajax early in his tenure, and they were a European powerhouse. So Ajax wins, the, I think, the first of its European championships – Michaels resigns, Hoppel takes over. Now, Hoppel was, not only was he a contemporary of Michaels, uh, but he was also regarded as one of the most successful managers also himself. Uh, He had won both the league and the domestic cup titles in the Netherlands. He won in Belgium. He won in Germany. He won in Austria. He also won the European Cup twice. The first he won the year before Ajax with Feyenoord. So you can see that this idea of total football was not just in one locus with Michaels, it was also with Happel, because Feinert wins the the 1970 uh, European Cup, then Ajax goes on to win the next three, and then Bayern Munich, who basically adopts uh, the total football, wins the next three after that. But Happel, uh, you have to basically give him his due. He is considered uh, one of the few coaches, to actually uh, win uh, uh, the the, the European Champions Cup with two clubs. There's only five that have ever done that. That's uh, Ancelotti, Hitzfeld, Heinkes, and Mourinho. Argument to be made that Hitzfeld and Heinkes were also students of kind of total football. Um, He also had the runner-up World World Cup medal because he coached the, the Netherlands team that lost to Argentina in the 1978 final. And having won all of these kind of countries, all these to- these titles or domestic league championships in at least four different countries, Happel himself reworked the theory to introduce strength and encouraging the players to play tougher during his spells. And this is where we get the thing that you and I do not like, the fouling on the high press, okay? When they lose the ball, they go foul the opposition so that they can get the ball back, Okay. And and it's really important that he uh that you understand that that he's like an employing this at the same time as Michaels is. And you know, like I said, he won the, the, the European Cup of Final of the Year on. And then you got that three year run by Ajax, and then the three year run by uh, by uh, uh Bayern Munich, and you have the Dutch team making it to the finals in 74, the German team winning it, or West German team in 74, and you have the Dutch team winning the finals in 78 and the Argentinian team winning you know, winning the World Cup. So it's all total football in the 70s, right? And you have Liverpool under Paisley at the same time, right? So the major component of the, the, this, this Mickels and uh, Happel's philosophy is the use of space. And this is where we, where what what total football really is about. It's the use of space, okay, and it's to create space. And the, the, this is central to the concept of total football. Um, the former Ajax defender Barry uh, Hulshoff described it as the thing we discussed the whole time. Cruyff always talked about where to run, where to stand, when not to move. He further elaborated that position switching was only made possible due to kind of spatial awareness. He also described total football as being proactive, as well as highlighting the use of pressing, okay, which would be used to win back the ball. And if you had to basically foul the opposition to get back the ball, if if they wouldn't give it up under the incredible pressure, then you did that too. Now, here's the thing. Uh, Michaels and Cruyff also saw – uh, unprecedented success with the system. They won eight Eredivisa titles, three European Cups, one Intercontinental Cup. The rise of total football and its attacking prowess also uh, linked with the death of Catanaccio. The, the Italian system uh, beautifully described in the previous uh, 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 you know, uh, pr- presentation that you had that was reliant heavily on defense promoted by Herrera and Internacional in the 1960s. Now, I need to point out that Catanaccio is really misunderstood as purely defending or parking the bus. This is ridiculous. Okay. It was it was counter-attacking. And regardless, the system was prone to defeat. Okay. Experiencing notably in the 1974 World Cup, where you saw, like I said, the Dutch side and, and the and the West German side that both employed this idea of total football. Okay. And Michaels and Cruyffs, saw their ability to introduce playmaking was stifled, actually. By the effective marking of people like Bertie boats as a striker, okay. Uh, and this allowed the great friends Beckenbauer, Ulijones, and Wolfgang over uh, over all who went on to be successful coaches, incorporating the elements of total football, they gained stronghold in the midfield. I mean, if they actually won that game 2-1 after the Dutch went up 1-0. And if you actually can get that, was the first World Cup I saw. Now, I wasn't old enough to actually you know, digest what was going on, but years and years I have watched it. That match was something to behold. You basically had two teams that played full, total football, pressing each other at every time. And I've like to say, actually, uh, in many ways, I think the Dutch lost that game because Cruyff lost the plot. Cruyff was an arrogant SOB, man. And Cruyff, the, 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 Cruyff, not only would coach his team while he was on, but he would coach the others and he would ref the game. And if you see that game, he never stops complaining with the referee. It totally threw him off his game, and the Germans took advantage of this. Anyways, I'm going to end here by saying that the use of total football now is Manchester City under Pep Guardiola. And where does he get it? He gets it from FC Barcelona, who was who was headed by the managerial philosophy of Johan Cruyff from 1988 to 1996, his protege, the young Guardiola.
0: Now, do we have to also like Van Hall's role in this? Because Van Hall has
1: has the same mentality, but Van Hall is much more robotic.
0: Yeah. Now, was there like Barcelona has this just very distinct relationship to just Dutch football yeah. in general? So, like, we give Pep Guardiola a lot of credit, but um, what what credit would you give to Frank Rijkaard be, before because well, he
1: managed that team? Frank Rijkaard. Where do, where does Frank Rijkaard come out of? What, what, like, what academy does he come out of? He comes out of Ajax, of Amsterdam, right? Who's the team that buys Frank Reichardt and catapults Frank, Frank Reichardt into, uh, into basically superstardom? AC Milan under Arrigo Saki. And, and there's a very strong argument to be made that Saki was less Catenaccio. They, he, he was not Catenaccio and played also a very, very kind of hybrid version of total football. So Rijkaard, you know, kind of pours the foundation, definitely. I mean, you, you, cannot, you cannot say that, right, you know, they think that Guardiola comes in and ushers in this revolution. Rijkaard poured the foundation, okay? Um, look, I mean, I want to also make another special note here, right? We also have to make a special mention to the Spanish national team that wins the World Cup in 2010 and the, the European, European championships, championships on each, side, each of side of it, right? Now, I mean, Now, PAP doesn't coach them, okay? It's Vincente Del Bosque. And they actually come up with the kind of tiki-taka, which is also football, but they call it El Juego de Posicion, which is based off the theory of total football. I would lastly like to say that where do we see the new hybrid of total football today? I would say it's exemplified beautifully in Marcelo Bielsa's football, okay, El Loco which uh, there's an argument to be made that Bielsa is the torch carrier of menotismo, okay? However, there's a qualification that needs to be made here. And um, this is when we actually, I think, we have two more installments in this kind of like discussion. Uh, we're basically going to do uh, uh we're going to come back in about after the new uh, after the christmas break where you'll talk about no well, that one's next week so we're going well, yes, to do it so well, we'll next, next week, week. Okay. we'll do it next week so we're going to do it next week we're going to have the discu- we're going to have the discussion about the kind of again defensive football anti football is it fair is it fair
0: I'm not going to refer to it as anti football throughout that presentation. Yeah, I, I it might be called I might refer to I'll refer to it as like counterattacking football, uh, defensive football, and and maybe park the bus football at, at points. This
1: is why you and I get along so well. But then you park the bus, I mean I I I, I think that, that, that when you see a team park the bus, that's desperation. But when you see a team defend with the attack that's tactics.
0: See for me like and maybe this speaks to just like a, a hunger for trophies. But uh, while while I agree with Minotti, like I, I love seeing you know football play beautifully, win, win at all costs.
1: Well, I mean, there are times. I'm 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 six of one, half a dozen of another. Okay, uh, being a, a fan, I mean, there's a great article in the New York Times talking about the 1982 game, which which we, we're going to have a pod on, that famous match between Brazil and Italy in 1982. And we're going to have our boy, Frank Nashi talking about that. And the title of the article is The Day That Naivety in Football Died, because that was a pure counter-attacking team under Enzo Berezotto, that was Catanacho. But they beat Brazil 3-2. Telly Santana is Brazil 3-2. So I'm with you. I'm with you. To call it anti-football is wrong. Okay.
0: No, it's a different like it is a different way it's of defensive of, sure like hate Mourinho as much as as much as we as, 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 as an we individual
1: like I don't like him his football philosophy I
0: love it like the, the his Porto and yeah. his like you can't you can't say anything bad about the Porto team that that he just destroyed Manchester United with and then won won the Champions League but the to me the culmination of of the current iterations of, of defensive counterattacking football was the inter was the trouble winning inter.
1: Let's be honest here. Mourinho. It
0: worked at Chelsea.
1: Mourinho is really using it. And we'll talk about this. He's using an inversion of total football because he's using space. And Mourinho is like, you know, the inversion of it is, you know, don't hang on to the ball. Right. You know, the longer you hang on to the ball, the more likely you're going to make mistakes, right? So, you know, look, this is this is what – and I want to just say one last thing about this.
0: I was going to say just as defenders because I think yeah. we both were defenders. It, there is a beauty to being a defender, a well-placed, like seeing a well-timed challenge and, and organizing a defense and, and stopping teams from scoring. There is just as much art and beauty to hey. that –
1: this is my this is my biggest beef about the game right now. Nobody knows how to defend, and here's the thing: defending is just as big as in soccer as it is as as attacking is. Okay, there's there, there, that's that's the dialectic: attack, defend, defend, attack. And I'll be honest with you: I would rather see a one nothing game than a five four game any day of the week.
0: Although I think Galliano would disagree with you. Yeah,
1: well, he's wrong.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that about uh, wraps it up. Julian, do you have any final final thoughts? I know we were kind of wrapping up on Bielsa there and Bielsa's at yeah. Leeds now. I think he's doing doing fairly well. Um, but I think that just about wraps it up. I did have one question because he talked about high press. Yeah. Um, Jurgen Klopp. Because, we we talk about Pep Guardiola playing uh, a total football style with a high press and, and persistent fouling, but how how Klopp uses the gegenpress at at Liverpool, where they press high, they don't tend to foul uh, as much as the Manchester City team, but they don't rely on short passing. It's still very much get the ball forward as quickly. Yeah, as Yeah, they're you more can. direct.
1: They're definitely yeah. more direct. Um, you know, my Liverpool buddies are not going to like what I'm going to say. I don't think his football is, as uh, his total football or his mentality of attacking football is as refined as Pep Guardiola's. And that's probably why he suffers quite a bit. What did Rafael Hunnstein call it? I think he called it heavy metal football.
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. Something instead like of, that.
0: Instead of like going to the orchestra of Pep yeah, Guardiola, yeah. it's, he called it's called heavy it metal heavy metal football. Heavy metal football, right? And then the only other manager, because we finished on this note of an Argentine, um, is Pochettino. What? Because like it's it's again it's very different there because you have players that will do the short passing and you have kind of like a weird Belgian a bit of a Belgian influence there with English like it's a very yeah, yeah. it's a very continental team but they they can do the short like they do the short passing they sometimes will press high It depends on like they choose their battles right
1: yeah I, I'm I'm gonna just say this okay
0: because like I, how still- we talk about managers we figure managers fit one or the other. Right? <coughs> Right. There's no middle ground where managers can sit. So puck. where would you
1: sit, Puck? Puck, uh, Puck is a poor man's p- total football. Uh, how do I put this? Um, how do I put this judiciously and even maybe diplomatically? Okay, there are a lot of people who have adopted this football. This is what I call, you know, the revenge of the uh, the track star, and I think they've taken the personality out of the and if you notice, you know, when you turn players into robots, you don't win. You got to let their personalities come out, you know. And sure, this Manchester City team is delightful to watch, but you know what? They actually get a little bit boring. Okay, they do. I mean, uh, I mean, it's just kind of like it's not like. Where you had Messi and Barcelona and Messi would do things that were just unbelievable because, again, there was this kind of like creativity of the individual.
0: Well, and that's the other thing that I want to bring up really quickly, too, before we wrap up, is like you, you look at a lot of these total football teams and they really had one attacking player that kind of stood out, especially with how Michaels played it with Cruyff, where Cruyff was kind of just allowed to roam in the same way that Pep did with Messi and kind yeah. of said the system is played around. A certain player does that that then kind of relates back to this what you said manati said where like the the concept the team is just a, a concept right
1: well it's an idea
0: yeah an idea yeah whereas like if you look at the the and i'm going to talk about this next week is really the counter-attacking style is team it is like everything is built within a team mentality and every piece in the team needs to do their exact job in the same way.
1: Yeah, yeah. But I think you cannot reduce players to cogs in a wheel. I think that that's the beautiful thing about football, right? Is that, it, 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 sure, you can have socialist football, but where is the individual? You know what I mean? The individual has to be allowed to express himself. And every great team, okay, has always had, in my opinion, under these kind of total football things, has not only had just one good player, but several, three or four, okay? And I think that this is kind of part and parcel of this, right, and I think that, um, like, you know, it, it's not its not an exact science, right? It's kind of like, you know, it's where, you know, this idea of functionality and kind of like a science of like, you know, of, of tactics meets artistry. And I think those who actually combine the two, and I, I, think, I think the perfect example is to see pep, for example, he yeah, had Barcelona, and Barcelona had Xavi, Iniesta, and uh, uh, Messi. Which, like, for crying out loud, you couldn't have asked for three more elegant players.
0: But the supporting cast of that too—it like, was—it was incredible. Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah, no, I agree. But look at when he goes to Bayern Munich; it becomes very bland. And then, can you really name any of those guys? No. I mean, you can like. Do they really stand? Oh, you can name them, but do they really stand out to you like that?
0: No, I don't think the system. I mean, like, And he's well, done it
1: again in Manchester City. Like in Manchester City, I don't think. I don't, I think, it, I don't it, think Manchester City has really a personality.
0: I, I would. I, I agree to an extent. I think he. like I, I think they just don't have a player that's on the Messi, Xavi, Iniesta level. I think if the team has really been built around like a Kevin De Bruyne, David Silva. And 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 Kuhn, although Pep would be hard to admit that he he uses Kuhn that way because I don't think he no he doesn't prefers Aguero, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, at, at all. I,
1: I, uh, I don't think he, I I don't think he likes that Aguero has got some. Aguero is uh, how do I put it? Uh,
0: Aguero is is Manchester City. Like let's face but, it, but
1: but he, he's a personality. A little bit. Yeah, he's not. He's not like you know. I I I I, I, I mean. As much as I love De Bruyne, as much as I love David Silva, those guys have no no personality. Yeah.
0: But and, but people have argued for a very long time that Messi is skill and not really the personality. Well, no, no, no. Well, I mean, right?
1: Maybe individuality is the word that I'm looking That's, okay. I that, 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 I, that I should be using instead of personality.
0: Okay. Uh, that does it uh, for us here. Hope you enjoyed. Uh, great presentation from Julian today. Thank you for yeah, putting Thank you guys, man and uh, And we'll be back next week with uh, with another review show. Uh, hopefully more exciting matches and uh, and my review of, uh, I'll say anti-football right now because I think that's what the listeners expect. Have a great day. Be good.